everyone. Welcome back to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. It's the podcast where we watch The Great Muppet Caper two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Anthony Strand. And I'm your other host, Ryan Rowe. And joining us today is our first guest of the new season, a very special guest indeed. Tell us who you are. Hi, I'm Danny Horn, uh, the original founder of ToughPigs.com and, uh, and Muppet Wiki. Danny is and pretty much our dad. <laughs> I will accept that. All right. We're, we're so thrilled to have you. So today we are looking at minutes three and four of The Great Muppet Caper, in which we see the end of the opening credits and the beginning of the first song, Hey, a Movie. Yes. So, and, um, yeah. So I, I assume that, that you guys have covered the basics of post-structuralist literary theory like in the first episode. So we can just go on from there. Is that right? We decidedly uh, have not. No, not oh. really. No. Okay. Oh no, I assumed I assumed that you had because like my belief is that you can't really understand the Great Muppet Keeper unless you have a graduate degree. Like it's a really complex movie. Um, so would you mind if I like I can just explain a little bit? Um, like when I was in college, I got a degree in French literary theory, which is the only way to go. And so this is how I understand how to approach a work of art. So if you guys are okay, like I'm gonna explain it. Like I'll start with the basics, which is just the difference between the signifier and the signified, like it's really easy. Um, so for any word, there's the signifier and the signified and the signifier is the sound of the word, for example, like the word frog and the signified is the actual concept that that word represents. So there's the word frog and then there's the concept frog like an actual material frog, right? Um, and there's no logical connection between that particular sound and that idea, but I can communicate that concept to you because we have this shared agreement that when I say that sound, then it means that concept. So there's this previous negotiation between us where we agree on that. Um, and, but that's a simple word and we both speak the same language. So we don't do that explicitly. It's just kind of assumed that we agree. Um, and then post-structuralist literary theory is about looking at a work of art and examining that assumed negotiation between the author of the work and the reader um, so let's say like the author of a book says that a woman is beautiful and your understanding as the reader of what a beautiful woman looks like is then shaped by your cultural context. And the idea that the concept beautiful goes with the concept woman is shaped by your cultural understanding of gender roles. Um, but people don't necessarily agree about these things. So you can ask these questions about how to resolve these tensions between the signifier and the signified to break down these implicit cultural codes. And that's what studying literature is for. Um, so anyway, the reason why I'm bringing it up is that in the Great Muppet Caper, the sound of the word frog like does not actually mean the concept of an actual material frog. Like that sound, when we say frog in the movie, it means that it's a puppet that represents a frog, except that it acts human in basically every way. And uh, and in this movie, like over the next couple minutes that we're going to talk about, they're going to do an entire musical number to explain that this puppet that represents a frog is actually an actor who's playing a frog that's a newspaper reporter. And he's going to talk us through that entire negotiation between the signifier and the signified. And then when that song is over, they're going to tell us that this puppet representation of a frog who's an actor playing a frog who's a newspaper reporter is identical twins with the puppet representation of a bear who's <laughs> also an actor playing a newspaper reporter. So frog and bear apparently mean the same thing, which means that that, that signifier, the sound of the word frog, means something completely different from what you thought it did, like in every possible way and we're only five minutes into this movie <laughs> and they showed this to children and so <laughs> i saw and so that's why i love the great mother keeper so much like i saw this in the theater when i was 10 years old and that's why i ended up studying post-structuralist literary theory like this movie like just completely changed my life 
Wow. What a fantastic um, beginning. <laughs> so was that so that was me kind of pulling the rope. Yeah, and, and here we and, go. And it's going to be terrific. Talking yeah. about this talking about this completely I believe completely insane movie. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Thank well, you for giving our listeners a a framework to view the entire rest of this podcast. Now they don't have to go to college. No, they can just <laughs> You're welcome. The, yeah, absolutely. You welcome. Thank you. You're very welcome. Wow. So uh, I, I mean, I guess goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for listening. No, no, there's so much to talk about. Like, so, like, so this starts with the credits, right? Right. We're kind of getting back um, into that. And, and and so that I like, I love, I love that they talk about the credits the way they do. Like, they're talking about them. They're like looking at it and talking about it as if it's like this material thing that's in the sky. Well, and even to the point where when they're about to descend, Kermit says the sky is clear. Yeah. Like, As if the I credits are like a meteorological phenomenon. <laughs> right, right. I love it. It's yeah. amazing. Um, and speaking, speaking of credits, the first one that we see here is for the four screenwriters of the movie. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk about them very briefly, if that's okay with you guys. Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm going... <laughs> I like. I love the idea that you don't know who Jerry Jewell is, Danny. Oh, I know Jerry um, Jewell, but there's no. But there's like there's a couple of those that I don't actually know that much. Right, right. Um, so J- Jerry Jewell, our listeners may or may not know, he was the head writer of the Muppet Show. He was the head writer of Fraggle Rock later. Um, I think we all agree that Jerry Jewell is one of the great geniuses of yes of comedy. He he wrote most of your favorite Muppet things. <laughs> right. Um, but the the one pair of names here is him and Jack Rose. A name that we have never seen on a Muppet thing ever before. Right. Or after. And right before or after. This is actually his final credit. Yeah. Um, and he oh. he had a career that stretched back to the 40s. He wrote a bunch of Bob Hope movies. Longtime listeners know how much I love Bob Hope, the funniest <laughs> screen comedian of all time. Um, Longtime listeners know that Anthony is being sarcastic. I don't <laughs> care for his antics. Um <laughs> But uh, Jack Rose wrote Road to Rio, My Favorite Brunette, Seven Little Foys, a bunch of Bob Hope movies. But more interestingly for our purposes, I think, he wrote the 1949 movie It's a Great Feeling, hmm. which is a, a comedy from Warner Brothers about actors Jack Carson and Dennis Morgan as themselves oh. going to the Warner Brothers lot to complain that they don't get enough work. Oh. Ah. And it, it has it has cameos from Edward G. Robinson, Joan Crawford, Ronald Reagan, Gary Cooper, Danny Kay, Muppet Show guest star Danny Kay. Um, <laughs> it's a great feeling. So like, it sounds like the Muppet movie then is kind of it's a great feeling fan fiction. Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, wow. um, and it's it's not like it's not it's not a you know staggering work of genius or anything, but it's a fun movie. Yeah. And really- and I kind of want like because there's a Jim's Red Book article about this that we will link to in the show notes. But um, Jim Henson met with him and for whatever reason, wanted this, this old time gag man, Jack Rose to write the first draft of the script with Jerry Jewell. And uh, it definitely gives it a different flavor from the Muppet movie. Yeah. It's interesting too, considering that, that Jim already had these ideas about sort of like adventure and intrigue that you wouldn't necessarily think like the guy who wrote the Bob Hope movies would be the right guy for that. Right. It, well, it's weird because I mean, he wrote Road to Rio, so why not get him to write the Muppet movie? That's a road movie, I guess. Oh, that's but, true. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, um, but it sounds like he really wanted this kind of like weird meta um, 
comedy to it that that we are enjoying so much. Yeah. Um, and then the other two credited screenwriters are Tom Patchett and Jay Tarsus, who didn't – I mean, they wrote some other movies, but they're best known for their work in television. They were the showrunners for the Bob Newhart show during mm-hmm. its best seasons. They co-created Buffalo Bill starring Dabney Coleman, starring fu- future Muppet movie villain Dabney Coleman, <laughs> which is one of those shows that like comes up on lists where – TV critics talk about it like it was so dark and daring. This was a network sitcom where the main character was a jerk in the 80s. So it was a big deal. The big deal about that move about that TV show, which I remember, was um, that you weren't supposed to like Dabney Coleman's character. Like that right. was the that was a big deal that it was it was kind of a dark comedy where you weren't supposed to like the the main character, which is totally, you know, like at the time. It was like the Mary Tyler Moore show was kind of like the the classic show or the Bob Newhart show where you're supposed to love the main character and just fall in love with them completely. So it was right. supposed to be this really like it was a it was you know that we didn't have like you didn't have your your arrested like, development like you didn't have like your, yeah well, arrested development or, or like or House of Cards like yeah, House, I, yeah I was gonna say especially on cable and streaming now there's so many unlikable protagonists yeah Breaking right. Bad it's kind yeah. of so like that's what we now think of as modern TV and and that show as far as like 1980s sitcoms go, like they were like going into that area. So it was a big deal at the time. Right, right. And, and then, so what is interesting to me is after that show, Tarsus and Patchett broke up. Oh, Jay Tarsus went on to create some other well-regarded failures, like uh, the Slap <laughs> Maxwell story, also starring Dabney Coleman. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tom Patchett went on to create Elf. All right. He had so much so, fun working with puppets. He wanted this to was, yeah, puppets. Th- th- I was going to say, this is his first puppet uh, work, and then he created Elf. But I just think it's fascinating that yeah. like they, they went their separate ways, and one of them was like, yep, I'm going to keep trying to make this dark network sitcom thing happen. <laughs> and the other one said, yep, an alien who cracks wise and hates the dad that he lives with. And eats, <laughs> and eats cats. Yeah, yeah that, that's pretty dark. That's <laughs> oh, true, that's true. So do, do we know anything? Do you know anything about like why they were called in to do uh, – like? I guess a the, second draft, like a, a fix. Well, the, the, the Jim's Red Book article that I looked at today yeah. says that Jim felt that the Jerry Jewell, Jack Rose script needed help. Yeah, so he, he didn't, with he didn't like it. There's some stuff about that in the biography by Brian J. Jones also. He, he just, like, he got the script from, from Jewell and Rose and just was kind of like, this isn't really what I'm looking for. Hmm. So, and what, what I think is fascinating is that this article said that the original, the, the Jewel Rose script was called Muppets Hit the Road, and the Patchett Tarsus script was called The Good, the Bad, and the Muppets. <laughs> and then the movie that we have is like a composite of both of those scripts together. Yeah, yeah. that's why you have Tom Patchett ampersand Jay Tarsus and Jerry Jewel ampersand Jack Rose. Right. Right. But what's interesting is that it makes Jerry Jewel and Jack Rose look like a comedy team, like, a, like a writing team. You know, like. Which Patchett and Tarsus were. I don't know. It's fascinating. Right. It's fascinating yeah. maybe to only me. But no, um, that's that yeah, no, it's interesting. I didn't really know that. It's fascinating yeah. to at least five other people, yes. I guarantee you. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so anyways, th- through that that odd combination of writers, we end up with like th- I feel like it's a weird writing situation and we end up with a very weird movie. So yes. it's it's fitting. That kind of does uh, that that does make a little bit of sense of like how kind of weird and Actually, I guess like the thing that's the thing that's so odd about this movie is they keep like trying to top themselves. Like every time it gets meta, then like the next thing that happens is like even more so. Right, right. They, they keep reminding you that they know they're in a movie. Yeah, right. And 
so then the next credit that we see is produced by David Laser and Frank Oz. Yes. And I, I, I'm sure our listeners all know who Frank Oz is. If they don't, I, why are you listening to this? Like, <laughs> go, go, go watch something Frank Oz was in or made. He's the guy who directed The Indian in the Cupboard. That's yes. his, his best known work, yes. And yes. what about uh, Blues Brothers star, Frank Oz. <laughs> yes. And David Laser was was the producer, one of the producers of the Muppet Show, also. Yeah, he it, um, it's is said to be kind of the he was the liaison to the guest stars, so he would kind of walk them through mm. the process of like, here's what it's going to be like to work with the Muppets. Here's what you're going to do on the show. So that was kind of his job on the Muppet Show. And he's also best known for his uh, name is a magic word in. <laughs> Is it, it's, oh, let me see. It's first in the Linda Carter episode, but also the Tony Randall episode, right? Rizal Evad Gibb. Yeah. Big Dave Laser backwards. <laughs> right. I, you so just every think time I that, that's what he's known for? That's what he's best known for. That's in my what he's house. known for to us. <laughs> that that really is five people. But we should also <laughs> mention that he also produced uh, Emmett Otter, the Muppet movie of Muppets and Men, The Dark Crystal. The Muppets Take Manhattan, Labyrinth, and one of those compilation videos called Fozzie's Muppet Scrapbook. So he did a lot of work with Jim Henson. Yeah. When I think of great Muppet projects, I think of Rizal Evad Gibb producing Fozzie's Muppet Scrapbook. Of course. <laughs> exactly. Um, so then we get one final credit. The last credit is yes. directed by Jim Henson. And like we talked about last time, this is his film debut. This is his feature debut. And, and that's um, and that's the moment when when Fozzie says, "Does anyone even really read these names?" Right, which is awesome. So yeah, good. lovely, great timing. Well, and of course, Kermit's response is, "They all have families," which is perfect. Yeah. Do um, you remember? It's in the the uh, commentary track for Muppets from Space during during the end credits when they're watching all the names go by. And Kermit says, hey, Gonzo, you know, all these people have families. And Gonzo says something like, so what? Or who cares? <laughs> yeah, that's it was not a, bad. It was a fun callback. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I think about that all the time while watching credits. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, yeah. Like, oh, I, I got it. Like, I think that this movie is the reason that I always stay through the credits when I watch movies. Because it's like well, they all have just, families. I got I to gotta pay all my respects. Yeah. When yeah. you're going to a big blockbuster and they're like, like 300 names of visual effects artists. Right. Well, now they, they bribe us to do that by, by giving us Samuel L. Jackson at the end of it. Yeah. Right, right. They hadn't, you know, they hadn't invented that yet by when they made the great Muppet Caper. So well, Samuel right. L. Jackson was around, but I guess they, they just didn't think to call him in. No. That's right. I think, uh, <laughs> I don't, I have nothing. <laughs> um, he existed. Yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't famous. Um, so what does happen yes. is that Kermit tells Fozzie to pull the rope so that they can start the movie. And then the balloon descends onto a set. In <laughs> it, it, actually, let, let's talk about this. It's a set, right? It's, it's well, Pinewood uh, Studios. It's, so there's, it's not there's, a London street, correct? Well, there's one shot where you can actually see the balloon uh, descending behind some buildings. That looks right. to me like a real location. So I think that is probably Albuquerque where they were shooting the, the rest of these balloon segments mm -hmm. in the air. So yeah, if anyone, likely. if anyone uh, lived in Albuquerque in 1980 and thinks they can identify these buildings, uh, please uh, <laughs> let us know. But then clearly they land in like new London city, right? Like, like ridiculously a set. And so I think like, so this is, this is like 
kind of what I was saying about the um, the post-structuralist aspect of this movie, that it's constantly calling attention to how artificial it is and how fake it is. And in, like sort of as a contrast to in the Muppet movie, the whole idea was let's get the Muppets like out of the set and out into the real world. Yeah. And right, what they're doing yeah, yeah. this time is like falling down from the real world into what is <laughs> obviously like a ridiculous movie set. They're entering the world of of motion picture artifice. Yeah, of like musical comedy. Now this is the thing. The thing is, well, though, when I, I was when I was a kid, I it never would have occurred to me that this wasn't a real city street. But when I look at it now, my my reaction is, wow, it's so brilliant that they just went for it and made this a fake looking city street. Yeah, right, but. I mean, you know, when I was in high school, I didn't notice that Stars Hollow was a set either right. <laughs> on Gilmore Girls. And that is this town from The Music Man. And many other things. <laughs> a film I saw many times as a it's child. also the town from like uh, sh- the Disney uh, TV movie Mr. Boogity. And basically well, okay. that is, like, that's where they've landed, is kind of on the back yeah. lot. Right, um, exactly. In, in a street that does not really look like a real street at all. And, like, instantly, it's not like sort of in the movie where people would try to react kind of naturalistically as if they were as if like the characters who appeared were real characters like automatically everyone is like mugging for the camera and like there's too right, many right. people in the <laughs> shot and and they're unlike so the guy with the basketball is like really making sure that you know that he has a basketball <laughs> well and, and the, the guy with, with the, the guy with the basketball the guy with the basketball starts shooting hoops at a painter's scaffold. He throws the basketball right no, at the painter. No reason. Like it's amazing. Just be, well, it's because like I am now I am an, I am a background actor playing the role of a guy with a basketball, and so I will now do because the camera is on me. I will now do my basketball thing, and that's right, kind right. Of how everybody right, right. acts for the whole sequence. Well, and I just like that their their costumes are sort of timeless, but they're they're just sort of these <laughs> old fashioned movie extra types. I don't know if like yeah. there's a there's a a mail carrier, a nurse, an old lady, a kid with a skateboard, a construction worker, a man in a business suit. It's just like all the extras that you would expect like, to like, see. And a woman with a baby mustache. Right. Yeah, the only thing I think oh. they're missing is a cowboy and a nun. <laughs> right. Like a spaceman. Um, <laughs> but so so far we haven't talked about hey a movie this yes. happening during all of this which helps with that effect so much mm-hmm. because the Muppet movie, like you say, here's Kermit in a real swamp. Here's mm-hmm. Kermit sitting on his, on a log playing his banjo, singing this like simple, wistful, beautiful, gorgeous song about his hopes and dreams mm-hmm. to himself. <laughs> and here we have just like Kermit, Fozzie, and Gonzo land in a hot air balloon, hop up, start singing this song about how fake everything is, and right. the million people around them all join in very loudly. <laughs> it yeah. couldn't, it couldn't be farther away from the Rainbow Connection. Yeah, and and just like right into our face. Right, right. We are insisting. I know you bought a ticket and you're sitting there facing the screen. You might not be aware. Of the of the work of art you're about well, to yeah, see. Well, yeah, and they, they even right. say you paid the money. Wait and see. Yeah, it happens to be a movie. Just so you know, this is your intro. <laughs> right. Like, hey, a movie isn't a very Muppet film. I mean, it's a lot of humans. Mm-hmm. But a, such a nice touch, I think, is that at one point the vegetables pop up to yes. sing, yeah. starring everybody. Right. 
which is like the sign that every Muppet you can think of is going to appear in this <laughs> right. film, which, which wasn't true for the Muppet movie outside of the projector rooms. Yeah. You know, it was, right, it was right. like that, that core group. We talked about that where it was like Kermit was just sort of encountering just a few Muppets along the way. And when he did it, it felt like a, an unusual thing or a special thing. But yeah, that that's a good point that the vegetables, their presence in this number is sort of announcing like this movie takes place yeah. in a world where there can be Muppets anywhere. Right. Which, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's like what they do with the Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah. Yeah. It's the yeah, same absolutely. opening. Which... Like, it, it comes down through this set and then the, the first thing that you know that kind of lets you know this is a Muppet movie is all of a sudden it's like a hundred random background extra Muppets. Right. You got your, you got your, um, Pops walking around and droop and all this. Yeah, yeah little mice and stuff. I also like yeah, how awesome. uh, surprised the vegetable vendor looks to see the the vegetables start <laughs> yes. singing. They must have. He known. didn't know he was. He didn't know he was in the Great Muppet Caper until they started. <laughs> I guess <singing>. not. <laughs> until just that moment. Uh, and and something that I think is is funny is like as soon as they say hooray we've landed here it is we're beginning like all of a sudden everything behind them starts to go badly. Yeah, like that's right, the right. moment when, like, they, you know, he throws the basketball and it like falls on the painter's uh, little stand, and then the painter kind of slips, and just like immediately things are going wrong. Right. Yeah. Well, and like Sweetums knocks over a guy with a street cleaning cars. Yes, and falls and falls into the manhole. <laughs> and falls into a man. Well, and what I love about Sweetums falling into a manhole is we see Richard Hunt as a cab driver right before yes. that. Yeah. Which is. The first of four, I believe, four Muppeteer cameos well, in, in the film. You know who his passenger is? Oh, I that's don't. Kathy Mullen. Is it? I never oh, yeah, noticed. It's just such I've a split been so second. I've always focused on Richard. I, feel I don't think I ever knew it until maybe somebody took a screenshot of the Blu-ray or something like that. But yeah, she's you, you barely see her, but she's there. So Richard Hunt is is the Muppeteer who plays like Scooter and Sweetum. It's just we explained who David Laser is. I think we did this, uh, and then Kathy Mullen <laughs> played Gaffer. In the Muppet Show, and then Moki Fraggle and Fraggle Rock is kind of right. And and I got to give a shout out to my girl Cotter Pinduser. So she was, oh, yes. she was and Cotter Pinduser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah thanks yeah. Uh, for reminding us to do that, Danny. <laughs> Not everyone is um, yeah. is at our level of nerdery. Yeah, right. Um, but, but I love. Gonna... But that's please go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to um, say, I... <laughs> Ryan, you need to cut Officially, some of this we're out. We're so excited Officially. to talk about this. We do love this movie so much. Officially, Anthony Richard, I, I feed my time. <laughs> Richard is um, in the cab, and then we see Sweetums come running. And I was looking for it. I don't think that Richard is in the cab anymore. We see the cab, but I think that there's no driver because Richard Hunt is is playing Sweetums hmm. now. Did either of you guys notice that? You, you know what, Anthony? That was the <laughs> exact thing that I was just about to say at the same time. Wow. <laughs> this, this, this podcast is working Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, because he had he had to disappear from his job as a cab driver to become to, a monster. Yes, like, immediately, and then and then fall down a hole. Yeah, so that's like that's just more of that like crazy, um, like they're just really trying to be as artificial as possible, and and then like and but for Richard Hunt and Sweetums, like that's like an Easter egg. Only only the Muppet fans would know. Yeah, that's a lot of right. fun for us. My question, though, is, yeah. like, what is Sweetums actually doing? He's running down the street saying, hey, <laughs> hey, you. Is he mad because that other car hit the chicken uh, uh, cart that Gonzo was riding on, or what? That never occurred to me. 
Yeah, I don't know. He he maybe he wants to get our attention. Maybe, maybe he's trying to call to us, the audience. Well, now, now that I think about it, like we do know why Sweetums like runs towards a movie screen, right? He wants to break through and go, "Hey, you!" He like he still actually thinks he 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 thinks he still thinks it's a movie. Oh, he's still trying to catch up with the guys. Yeah, he's still running. <laughs> he and he ran all the way to London. Wow. He ran. Yes, he ran all the way across the Atlantic wow. Ocean, or the, all the way across the Pacific Ocean and around the world to like across <laughs> Asia and Europe to London. It's a long run. Fakey New York, London City. Uh, I did yeah. want to note in the July 22nd, 1980 draft of the screenplay, a lot of this like physical comedy stuff that Sweetums is doing is just uh, mm-hmm. given to a character that's just referred to as a man. Like it's a man Aww. who falls down the manhole, a man who uh, gets his finger stepped on, I think. So at some point they oh, decided changing it- that it would be funnier if it happened to Sweetums and they were correct. I think that's right. I, yeah, I think so that right. was a good idea, yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of speaking of physical comedy from the Muppets, um, went off of that chicken cart, which I believe you mentioned, Ryan. Uh, always looks to me like he's dead. His little <laughs> body looks so mangled, and then he's which to me like makes it funnier when he then sits <laughs> up and says, "It's okay, I landed on my head." Yes. Yeah. Well, just one movie later, the same thing will happen to Kermit, and he'll get amnesia. But Gonzo is is sturdier, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Boy. That sets up like that sets up the indestructible Gonzo thing of kind of later on in the movie when he's just throwing himself into the street. Yes, right, which doesn't really come up much in the Muppet movie. You know, there's not a lot of yeah. Daredevil Gonzo in that no, movie. He's just weird. Like, he's at not all. such a, a Daredevil or a masochist. Well, it's the balloons. He's he's swinging on the balloons. That's his big yeah. stunt. Right. True. Um, so but yeah, no. Here they actually just take him and they just start throwing him around the screen for our right. entertainment. Yes. So great. Um, so actually, that uh, Sweetums falling down the manhole is the end of these two minutes. Um, yes. So before we go, do we, do either of you have any final thoughts? Danny, I'll start with you. Um, yes, I think like so. The the big question, kind of like that, this sets up then is is whether this is actually a street or not. Hmm. Um, I'm. I, <laughs> I don't know why. I thought that that would be great to like set up the next episode. Like oh, okay. this, this is a this is now going to be like our literary theory. Do you have an answer it, for that question? Doesn't it doesn't that didn't work as a cliffhanger at all? No, it really. I it do, really but we'll did. we'll talk we'll talk about that we'll talk about that in two minutes, I guess. Let's we'll talk about it next time. Yeah, yeah. all right. How, Ryan, how about you? Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention is uh, that Kermit, Fozzie, and Gonzo in the hot air balloon is one of the scenes that was depicted on the four mcdonald's great muppet caper glasses yeah so uh i guess i'll i'll be uh you know counting those down so here's mcdonald's glass number one the hot air balloon um also if anyone has that glass at home don't drink out of it there is lead paint in it oh man i i thought Uh, you were about to say like drink drink a toast with that no do not drink a toast drink a toast with a different glass or if you are a gonzo imitator like myself you will drink out of it because you're living on the edge, man. Yes, if you're like Gonzo, you'll grind it up and eat it. Luckily, this is what I want. Not luckily, my boss. when I was when I was a kid and I had those glasses, I wouldn't let anybody drink out of them because I didn't want anybody to break it. Sure. Yeah. And so that's so that's why I that's how why I made it here. What a lucky. Escape. That's really lucky. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On that note, I think on on the note of Danny's lucky escape, <laughs> we will we will close for this time. Um, before we go. 
Uh, be sure to follow Tough Pigs on well, – find us at toughpigs.com, but follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are all over the place. You can follow me on Twitter at Zeppo Marxist. You can follow Ryan at me, Ryan Rowe. And Danny, remind the folks where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me. I have um, a blog called Dark Shadows Every Day, which is about a 1960s vampire soap opera. Um, and I'm writing about every single episode until it stops. Uh, and then also I have a YouTube channel that folks can check out. I just did – I posted um, a new talk that I gave called The Thing Maker and the Burning of the American Child, uh, which is about dangerous toys. If you go on YouTube and you search for that, Thing Maker and the Burning of the, of the American Child, um, then you'll find me and there's a couple other videos too. I'm going to check that out. Awesome. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. So that brings us and down thank to the so end. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Uh, and we'll, we'll yeah, see you good. next week, I believe. Correct, Danny? All right, great. I can't wait. All right, awesome. So, uh, listeners, if you're so inclined, give us a positive review on iTunes and tell all your friends to listen to the show. And join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.